amazing what we can reflect on and think about and uh, be exposed to. Who would have thought? So we have this sort of problem really, which is uh, if God is so great and he can do so many things, why do we have such a problem with us? Like we go, well, he can't do anything with me. And uh, I want to reflect on, I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. And um, we've been talking about him for a while. And I want to try and encourage us with the tensions that are part of our realities. Um, so that we can not get stuck. Here's a, um, something I came across recently. Do you ever feel too weak or inadequate to be useful to God? A teenager from Cumbria, northern England, felt God calling him. Patrick was poorly educated, ineloquent, and faced significant opposition throughout his ministry from those who felt that he wasn't up to the task. Even as an old man, he still admitted, Today I still blush in fear more than anything to have my lack of learning brought out into the open. Yet despite all his disadvantages, Patrick remained convinced that God had called him and anointed him as an evangelist. He wrote, We are a letter of Christ for salvation even to the back of beyond. And what does it matter if it is not a learned letter? But it is still to be found valid and plain for all to read, written in your very hearts, not in ink, but by the Spirit of the living God. Today his more eloquent contemporaries have long been forgotten. But the, ad- the impact of St. Patrick's ministry and mission to Ireland 1,500 years ago is still recognized around the world. Even his weakness was anointed. That's why I asked you right at the beginning about self-awareness. You know, are, are, how aware are we? And how do, what, do we, what do we do with that self-awareness? Because self-awareness is really important. Paul used to say, you know, I struggle with some things. And uh, the good that I want to do, I don't do. And what I don't want to do, I do. And you get some interpretations of that in, in some, some areas of the Christian sort of theology that says, well, that was what Paul said before he became a Christian. After he became a Christian, he wouldn't have done that because if you study Romans. And I go, oh, nonsense. That was Paul's expression of life because he was very well aware of what he was capable of. And he used to say that from time to time. He said, I know what I was, but praise be to God, Jesus. And the thing about self-awareness is that you can, you can get too down on yourself and you can end up just going to the bad stuff and say, this is, I know what I'm capable of. And the other side of it is you can be, I know who God has made me and I am his and I'm claiming the victory. And both of those isolated are dangerous. And so the testimonies we heard really link into what we're trying to talk about today because Neil was talking about how, you know, the people he hurt also the people who loved him and supported him and there's an element of that's how it's meant to be. We are meant to be a people who are able to share our journeys and not just the part of our journey that looks sweet but also the part of our journey that we're actually ashamed of. You know a lot of my journey. I'm ashamed of some of it but I'm not bound by it. And I'm not judged by it. I'm redeemed through it, as you are. And Jesus said, you know, he said something really simple. He said, apart from me, you can do quite a lot, didn't he? What did he say? How much of nothing is nothing? How much is left after nothing? 
How many of us go, I don't believe that. I do quite a lot. And Jesus says, I know you do. But apart from me, you can do nothing that brings life. So, I don't know about you, but in many Christian circles, we spiritualize lots of stuff and we have this lingo that kind of, we duck and dive through life. Praise the Lord, I'll pray for you. You know, hallelujah, Jesus is working me. We have lots of, and I'm not speaking cynically, I'm just tickling us a little bit and say, you know, let's lighten up on who we are. Look what Paul says in Galatians. I mean, this is, if I, if I wrote a letter in trail notes like this, you'd probably kill me. Tell me, tell me what you don't understand in this. this uh, the acts of the flesh are obvious. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery. Anybody not know what those are? Idolatry. Anything that you put up on a pedestal and worship. Witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. Which of those are difficult to understand? <laughs> Saved by the bell. Which of those are difficult to understand? Why am I saying this to you and to me? Because the essence of Christianity and the essence of God in us is not complicated. It's called fruit. And all of those things that he described are the hallmark of what it is like to live in the flesh for self. Don't worry, it is getting worse. No, it's not. The fruit of the Spirit, which of this don't we understand, is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Which of those don't we understand? Perseverance. Carry on. Push in. Press in. So you have the gifts of the Spirit and you have the work of the flesh. What is complicated about those two manifestations? So, what Jesus does with us, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And you say, well, Jesus, what do, we, what do we get with you? And he says, with me, you get love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. You get the fruit of the Spirit. So, what happens when we're not picking the fruit of the Spirit off your little bowels? Are you self-aware? Am I self-aware? What happens when there's envy, there's anger, there's frustration, there's jealousy, there's gossip? Is that from the Spirit or is it from the flesh? How difficult is this? This is getting real, real simple. I'm afraid. It's like a polygraph test. It's a, it's a truth detector. So when you're dealing with the fruits of the flesh, what do we do? He made me do it. We go back to the Garden of Eden. We blame each other. And you go, so how come somebody else is to blame for where you're rooted? How come somebody else is to blame for what's coming out of you and is being manifest as fruit? It's getting a little personal now. Let's sing a song and worship the Lord. That's what we do. Oh, 
I'll be very blunt with you and very transparent with you because I'm a little... I spent a lot of time in the last few years being told that I'm quenching the Holy Spirit in this church. And I'm, I'm, I'm not helping the flow of the Holy Spirit. And I'm saying to this church, the Holy Spirit will not flow with freedom unless we deal with relationship. At every level, through every person. And I'm willing to take as much flack as anybody wants to throw at me, but I will not change on that. That's my responsibility as the pastor of this church as long as I am here. Because the signs of the Holy Spirit flowing in worship have to be released in relationship. And the fruit of the Holy Spirit released and declared in worship have to be manifest in the way that we treat one another. And there is no excuse and there is no exception and there is nothing other than a revelation in me, and I say this with huge humility, a revelation in me that, God, I can't do this. We all go through that. So self-awareness is about when I am faced with my weakness, what do I do? I just declare it. As Jeannie said, I make a choice. Lord, I'm sensing this anger in me. Maybe I need to look at why I'm angry. It doesn't mean that things that trigger me are right. In other words, there are injustices. There are things to be upset about. But what it does in me is my responsibility. And Jesus said to me very clearly, apart from me, you can do nothing. So when we come up against these issues of the flesh in us, that's when Jesus is right next saying, I think you need me. And we have a choice as to whether we justify our flesh or we go, you're right, Jesus. <laughs> I need you because I can't do this. I cannot do this. Now you think you're in bad company. Look at the way they worked in the, the New Testament with the disciples. James and John, we talked about that a few weeks ago. Let's bring fire down on the Samaritans. Jesus says, excuse me, that's vengeance. That's not of the God. That's not of the Holy Spirit. You have the anointing because I gave it to you, but you're not using it like that. You see, we think, oh, I'm anointed. I'm a Christian, so now everything's good. And you go, no, it's not. It's a work in progress. And the best testimony of how I'm doing in life is asking the people around me how I'm doing. They're the ones who taste and see the fruit or lack thereof. And so Neil and Brian have been walking together, helping each other say, we want some decent fruit in our lives. And it's been powerful to see the humility and the regular meeting week after week after week for nearly two years now. And there's transformation in their lives. You don't get this by nothing. You don't get this by not turning up. You don't get this by just worshipping. Worshipping is incredibly important. But it's not going to replace the relationship that Jesus invites us into where we're accountable. So Peter, I mean, listen to Peter. We're always quoting poor old Peter. He's such an inspiration because he's so much part of this kind of paradox where Peter, who do you say I am? Lord, you're the Messiah. And God says, Jesus says, Peter, you know, upon this rock I build my church. And then, of course, we misunderstand that, but never mind. The declaration, you are the Messiah, you didn't know that. It was shown to you by the Spirit. And Peter goes, well, just a fisherman, that man. Uh, yep. I said something good for once. 
it's not very much later that Pe- Jesus is saying, I've got to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to suffer. And, and Peter says, don't do that, Jesus, that's not of God. And Jesus turns around and says, hey, Pete, I think you got it wrong. He doesn't. He slams him. He says, get behind me, Satan. And you go, well, he just said to him, upon this rock I'm going to build my church. And now you say, get behind me, Satan. You say, yep. That's how it works. Peter's a work in progress. He's getting attached to my heart, but he's got a lot of flesh that's going to wrestle with me until we get there. Just like you and me. The, way, the reason we love Peter in the Scriptures is because he shows us both sides. There's hope for us. There's hope for the person next to you. Maybe tell them that. There's hope for you. you know? I know what you're like. There's all kinds of pieces of you. There's some good, there's some bad, there's some not so good. And you know what? The Lord... Li- <laughs> oh, some of you look so proud. You know... <laughs> comforting the person next to you and you're going, you have no idea what they want to tell you. <laughs> we are all incomplete and this is not about, we have all these discussions and I get into trouble about, John, we've got to look for the gold and you're just focusing on the pottery and the clay pots and I'm going, it's just, it's, it's a journey in the dirt and it should be fun. It should actually be fun. You should feel so safe here that there's nothing that you can do that causes you to be rejected. The only thing that you can do that will cause you to be rejected is to reject yourself. Is to actually blame people and then withdraw. And even then you won't be rejected. You see, there's part of us that has to show up. That's what Jeannie was saying. And make a choice. Because following Jesus isn't always milk and honey. Because it faces us with our flesh. And that's what the disciples went through. They went through Peter again. He's just said, Jesus, I'm for you. I'm your man. And then we know through Easter, we always talk about it. He, he denies him to a little girl who's just saying, didn't I recognize you, you Galilean? And he, he probably swore. It's probably not as pleasant as it sounds in the Bible. He probably said a lot of things that we wouldn't want to say in church. And then he fled. You see, if we want the Holy Spirit to work, I started off, some of you didn't come in in time, so I'll have to tell it again and then I won't point out who came in late. Um, I said to you right at the beginning, do you know the difference between a tap and a tank? And it wasn't very responsive. And a tap says to the tank, I wish I had all the water that you carry. And the tank says to the tap, you can have everything I have, just open up. And I will flow through you. And that's how God works, that's how the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit works by flowing through whatever is opened up to him. So some of us are going, I want the Holy Spirit to work, but we stay closed. And we stay closed because the last time we were open, we were hurt. So I'm not opening up again. So we get frustrated because I don't feel God and I can't feel where he is and I don't have the experiences you have and I don't do this and and somebody says, open up. Well, I might get hurt. You're getting hurt anyway. It's not about might be hurt. You're already hurt. I mean, you have to be really hurt to not open up. You have to be really afraid to not open up. But if you're not willing to risk, you might as well go to the morgue. 
And then some of us are already there, really. And the invitation of God is for an adventure of how to overcome the flesh with the Spirit. But the thing that we have to grapple with and the thing that is the, the, the adventure is he says, I cannot do it all on my own. I'm co-laboring with you. I want to work with you. So at Ken's dad's memorial yesterday, we talked about Lazarus dying and Mary and Martha. And, and that whole story, you know it. The daughters who, who had loved Jesus and Lazarus loved Jesus and they were... They, Jesus used to stop on the way to Jerusalem. Bethany is not very far from Jerusalem. It's a 20-minute walk. Uh, you go over the hill and you, you're in Bethany and there's a big church there. It says Lazarus Church, like everything in Israel. There's always some big monument to this thing and it probably wasn't even in that moment. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Lazarus Restaurant too, I think. You can get buy Coke. Coca-Cola, I mean. Um... They actually have this beautiful round church that uh, is in that region where whenever you go there, people sing. It's got a dome ceiling and it's, it's got this huge acoustic sort of sound to it. Um, but anyway, you know, and as I said yesterday, Mary, Mary probably, probably was the girl who had wept at Jesus' feet and poured ointment over him. She probably had been possibly a woman of ill repute and Jesus had transformed her. He had actually, when Jesus talked to women, they felt alive for the first time in their lives in a, in a, in a society that demeaned women, used women, abused women. The women at the well, Mary, the other Mary, I mean all of them, they, they had an encounter with a man who didn't want them sexually. And Mary's life was transformed. And that's why she sat at his feet. That's why she poured everything she had on him in, a, in an inappropriate way, but it was, it was her language. And he said, she's done a beautiful thing. She who's been forgiven much loves much. You see, there are no magic words with God. All he looks at is our hearts. You can bumble into his presence, you can stutter over your words, and he just loves it. It's like us when our kids first draw, you know, Daddy, look what I drew, and it's nothing scribbles, it's ugly but it's beautiful because my daughter did it that's how God feels about you and me I mean, you cannot disappoint him in terms of what you present to him on your worst day when you turn to him he is thrilled the greatest act of worship you can give to God is to turn to him on your worst day and say help and us who are parents, we know. I could, I could speak myself into tears <laughs> in terms of what rises up in you. And so God looks over us and he says, how I long, how I long that you will understand that the war against the flesh is not something you can win. You will never win the war against the flesh. The only way you win the war against the flesh is by the Spirit rising up. So I want to show you the video I showed you last week because it's worth seeing again. So there's an, you see why I like that illustration is because it's what we submit ourselves and open ourselves to. It's not how hard you work. It's where you position yourself. 
And the easiest way to understand whether I'm being filled with the Holy Spirit or not is to look at Galatians and say, well, what's coming out of me? And instead of continually defending the stuff that's coming out that's not good, I just go, an easy one for me, believe it or not, is sarcasm. If I get really edgy and sarcastic, I know I need to kind of disappear somewhere. I've got a lot of other red flags, but that's one of them. And knowing our souls begins to become for us a way of us saying, I need to just actually back off here. And I'm taking responsibility for this. That does not mean you become a doormat. It doesn't mean there's no boundaries. It doesn't mean there's no passion or anger that's righteous in a way of, no, this has got to stop. It just means I know what anger feels like. In, in, in deep inside, the, you know, the, the bad anger. And you know what things are inside you when it's not just a sign of something that we have to deal with. It's something deeper. And so you come back and say, God, I need your forgiveness. I, I, I ask you to forgive me for the way that I am acting right now. And you see, Jesus, when he was, I want to close with this, going back to Mary and Martha, what happens with Mary and Martha? They are friends of Jesus. They've entertained him. They've actually made meals for him. They've argued together. Martha said, tell Mary to come and help me. Mary's probably said, tell Martha to chill out and come and pray. Um, you know, Lazarus has probably said, take them both away. You know, um, and they're very real people. And so when Lazarus dies and Jesus doesn't turn up, now there's going to be a point for everybody here in this, in this little exposition in the next five minutes. I'm asking God for something. I thought he cared and he doesn't turn up. Relax. Doesn't mean he say he doesn't know. Just maybe the timing. So trust him. Eventually Jesus turns up. Martha is on the road to meet him. She's angry, she's hurt, she's upset. And she says, if you had come, my brother wouldn't have died. I mean, what kind of a friend are you? You can talk to God like that. What I'm illustrating and what this story is illustrating, and I want to just really encourage you with this, there is not this insipid story that says Lazarus died, Jesus came, Lazarus was they had a prayer meeting and Lazarus rose from the dead and it was all happily ever after. Many of our lives are, are, are looking for that kind of subtext and then we get disappointed. And the reason we get disappointed is because God says, I'm not superficial. I've got more than one thing going on. I want to engage with you at a deeper level. So I want you to come out into the road and I want you to start talking to me about how you feel about me and this situation. And I, I don't want your Christian talk. I want your heart. I want you to tell me I'm angry with you. I'm frustrated. I'm disappointed. And I can handle it, says Jesus. Because once you've got it out, I'm going to say to you, it's not over. But, but, he said, your brother will rise again. Yes, Lord, I know he will rise again and he will rise on the last day. That's the good Christian answer. And so she gives the right answer without the understanding of the meaning, which is often our conversation with God. Kind of a, almost a sincere platitude, if you can have such a thing. And so Jesus comes 
you know, Mar- Martha goes, calls Mary, Mary comes. She also says, you know what, Jesus, I, I'm broken. And then you see Jesus' compassion and he weeps. And that's one of the things as, as, as I was looking at it yesterday, you know, this, this whole group come to the family to, to comfort them. And Jesus does not come to comfort them, really. He comes to transform something. And I want to say to you, my brothers and sisters, we tend way too much to be comforting people when God is trying to bring transformation. We get in the way because we don't like dealing with their discomfort. And then we start blaming. That's what's ripping this church apart being very blunt, but I I won't go any clearer than that, but I'm just saying, stop it. Stop owning other people's stuff. Stop defending them. Just love people and encourage them to walk into the light. Because what happens here? Mary comes out. Jesus weeps with her. Why does he weep? Because he loves them. It says in the scriptures, Jesus loved Lazarus and Mary and Martha. But his love does not look like, oh, no discomfort. His love does not look like, let's just sing hallelujah and leave Lazarus in the grave. What does he do? He engages them. How insensitive Jesus. So he says to Mary Martha, where have you laid him? Over in this grave. Let's go there. I don't know whether I want to go there. It brings up all the memories of the death and we were weeping there four days ago. I don't want to go there. Let's go there. God wants you sometimes to go back to things that you're trying to get out of. Remember what he did to Moses? Moses is 80 years old. He's been in the, uh, the, the Bible says in the backside of the wilderness or something, which is pretty graphic. And he's living 40 years in despair and what I thought was going to happen in my, in my life is never happening. And now I'm looking after sheep and shepherds and I'm an old man. And then the, bo- the, bo- the bush burns. And what does God say to him? Good news, bad news. Je- Moses, I still see you. I love you. Take off your sandals. You're in a holy place. And then he says, bad news. We're going to, well, good news. We're going to set my people free that you've been praying for a long time. And Moses says, right on. And then he says, and the bad news is I want to use you. And he says, I can't speak. And I'm old. I can hardly walk. And the worst thing of all is I'm terrified of Pharaoh. You want the Holy Spirit working in you. You want the Holy Spirit working through you. And Jesus says to Mary and Martha, let's go back to the grave. The Holy Spirit working in us and through us sometimes takes back to the place where we lost our hope or we have given up on something. And God says, I want you back there. And we say like Moses, no, I can't. It's too painful. It's not. I want you back there. And then somebody who loves us more than Jesus says, don't go back there. It's hurting. There's something wrong with him or her. They're just insensitive. And we say, I don't understand. God's not coming through for me. And he says, well, he came through, but you didn't. So Jesus takes them back to that grave and then he says to them, roll away the stone. And Martha says, very practically, it stinks in there. And I don't know, I I think Jesus probably smiled at her and said, oh, Martha, in your frame of reference, it stinks. In my frame of reference, We're in for a big surprise. You've never seen a resurrection. There are some things in our lives we have never seen yet. 
And the thing that's stopping them from happening is because we are controlling our situations and we're writing the scripts and we're saying that's one area I'm not going to go to. And the Holy Spirit is saying that's one area I'm trying to get you to. And you say, I'm not going there. And he says, unless you go there, it's rather like Peter's feet being washed, unless I go there, you cannot inherit the kingdom in all its fullness. I thought you said you trusted me. I thought you said you are the Messiah, I believe in the resurrection, all that stuff. Well, let's see it in operation. Now, this is co-laboring. It's not very spiritual, but it's very deep and profound because out of this, Jesus rolls away the stone, Martha goes, can't smell anything. And Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. And he shuffles out. Imagine the place that was your greatest tragedy, your greatest fear, your greatest despair becomes your greatest revelation, your greatest miracle. Just came across a book this week from a guy. Um, I knew I wouldn't. His name is Roy, I think, but I, I knew I would forget his name. He spoke at a conference uh, in Vancouver this week. He's a black guy, 58 years old. 1985, at the end of 1985, he was put in prison for a murder that he didn't commit. He was there for 30 years. Let him out in 2015. And the reason he was in prison was because he was black. Held for two murders. The evidence on the ballistics for the guns was so obvious. Alabama has not actually um, paid him anything, admitted any guilt, and he was speaking to this conference about the love of Jesus and forgiveness. And we get moved. He got a standing ovation from a bunch of people who weren't even Christians. The fruit of the Spirit. He wrestled. I started reading his book and he wrestled for three years in death row and angry and everything else. And then, uh, then, then he kind of came to a revelation. He said, if you live on death row waiting for death, you, there's no hope. And he began to turn it around and began to be friends to people and began to bring light into that. And God used him very powerfully for the next 20 years. Jesus wasn't joking when he said, you know, apart from me you can do nothing. I just want to encourage us as we talk about the Holy Spirit, as we look for the movement of the Holy Spirit, the movement of the Holy Spirit begins in you and me. To the level we're willing to be open to the Holy Spirit is the level to which He will lead this church. The depth to which we lay down our lives for one another. The depth to which we learn to suffer together. The depth to which we, we call up in one another the things that are of God. But there's no cheap grace. And so what did Jesus say to to the people at Lazarus' tomb. He said, now you take off the grave clothes. What is a church really? It's a place where we get rid of a lot of grave clothes. So, there's a beautiful passage in Ezekiel where it talks about the streams of living water, the river flowing out of the temple. And everywhere the river flows, there is life. And that's what we're meant to be. So as we break bread together today, let the Holy Spirit pour over you. Let the Holy Spirit have his way with you. And when there are things that are revealed that are getting in the way, listen to the Holy Spirit. 
and say, Lord, I can't do this without you, but here I 